Hey everyone, Ron Garen here. First, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Orbital Perspective podcast. What started out as a discussion around sheltering in place almost a year ago has turned into a discussion platform centered around making our world and our future better for everyone. Let's keep that discussion going. I also wanted to let you know that my next book, Floating in Darkness, A Journey of Evolution, launches on May 4th of this year. It's the sequel to my first book, The Orbital Perspective, and goes much deeper into solving the challenges that our world faces and how we can come together as one to create solutions. It's part autobiography, part action movie, part love story, with a message of unity that I would like to share with the world. For my loyal podcast listeners, I'm offering a 25% discount off the retail price. To get the savings, simply go to floatingindarkness.com forward slash order and enter the code PODCAST to save 25%. It's good for the next 48 hours, and it's my way of saying thanks for joining me on this incredible journey towards a better future. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Orbital Perspective Podcast, where we dolly zoom out to a perspective where upcoming megatrends become visible. Every day, it is more and more apparent that we are in the midst of the great transition. Everything is changing rapidly. The fundamentals of business, government, and society are being rewritten almost on a daily basis. We are truly living during a time where the riskiest course of action is to stay the course. The most hazardous path is to take the tried and true. We are also living during a time where it is becoming more and more apparent that the status quo is not working. At least it's not working for everyone. And until the status quo is working for everyone, we will do nothing more than slap temporary band-aids on our problems and our challenges. We are presently dealing with crisis after crisis. But these crises can serve as a wake-up call. They can be our call to action to incorporate the changes necessary to make us all more resilient and better equipped to deal with the future crises that will undoubtedly come our way. The Orbital Perspective is all about transcending the divisive walls that separate us and embracing the awe and wonder of our shared humanity. What all the guests on the Orbital Perspective podcast have in common is they are all able to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when we look at issues from different perspectives, we see things in stereoscopic vision. Multiple perspectives allow us to see the depth of a situation below the two-dimensional us-versus-them surface. The other thing all our guests have in common is that they are all proof that you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Now, this is not an interview, and it's also not just a conversation between two friends. It's a conversation amongst all of us. If you're listening live, please post your questions and your comments so that we can bring you into the conversation. And if you're listening to the recorded conversation, still please join in with your comments and questions and be a part of this evolving community. Thank you for being here and being a part of this conversation from the Orbital Perspective. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Orbital Perspective podcast. Um, so happy that you're here. Um, I'm so happy that you're part of this. And I really do want you to be part of this. Like I said in the intro, uh, this is not just a conversation between, between two friends. This is a conversation amongst all of us. And I see you, you guys joining in there. So join in with the, in the comments section uh, with your comments or your questions. Uh, and I hope that 2021 is off to a great start for everyone. I hope uh, the light at the end of the tunnel of, of these various crises that we're facing uh, is apparent. Uh, and that um, 2021 is going to be a great year for everyone. And as it said in the introduction, what all of our guests have in common is they all have a slightly different perspective. And it's from these multiple perspectives that we see the depth of, the, of a situation. And my guest today certainly has a different perspective. Uh, John Gucci Foley, his call sign is Gucci, uh, is a former uh, lead solo of the uh, U.S. Navy's Blue Angels, and uh, we have got a lot to talk about, and we're not just going to be talking about flying jets, uh, so I want to jump right into this, and so let me introduce you to John. John Foley 
is a former lead solo pilot of the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels demonstration team, a Sloan Fellow at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, leadership expert, speaker, and gratitude guru. As a thought leader on high performance, John created the Glad to Be Here Mindset Methodology and the Diamond Performance Framework. As a Blue Angel, John consistently performed in an extreme high-stakes environment, flying an F-18 at speeds of more than 500 miles an hour and in formations as close as 18 inches apart. To survive in those circumstances, he relied on a culture of high trust and leadership. For decades, John has shared his exciting, rare journey with audiences around the world. John has spoken on five continents, 20 countries, and over 1,000 events, working with some of the world's top organizations. John graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and was a defensive back on the midshipman football team. He was chosen as a top 10 carrier pilot six times before becoming an F-18 instructor pilot. He holds a master's degree in national security and strategic studies from the Naval War College, a master's degree in management as a Sloan Fellow from the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and a master's degree in international policy studies from Stanford. John was also a fellow at the Stanford Center on International Conflict and Negotiation. As the founder of the Glad to Be Here Foundation, John and his wife Carol have donated over $2 million to over 380 charitable organizations around the world and sponsor children in 47 countries. Gucci. Agent. Glad to be here, buddy. <laughs> hey, that's your that's your slogan. That's your motto. <laughs> yes, but it's also it means something very special today. You were the first thing on my mind, and I am so grateful uh, to be part of this. Yeah, we're we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here, and uh, you know, I I hope you like that intro video that we put together for you. I don't know if you notice this, but when we talk about you being a, a midshipman football player. Uh, the image that we showed was Navy playing Air Force. So I just thought, thought I'd throw that out there right off the bat. I saw that, and that's the year we beat you, right, which is normal. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, th John, thanks for being here. Uh, like Absolutely. I said in the intro, we're not just going to talk about jets. But we, we will talk about jets some. Uh, and, you know, I, I got to share a story. I don't, I don't think I told you this story. but when So when I was getting ready to graduate from high school, uh, I had I had two goals in my life. Well, before before high school, I had two goals in my life. I wanted uh, to be an astronaut, and I wanted to be a Division One football player. And so, as graduation from high school approached, uh, both of those things seemed like ridiculous dreams. So, <laughs> well, first of all, the air, the astronaut thing was ridiculous because this was after Skylab. It was before the space shuttle program, okay. and um, you know, to some kid in New York. Uh, we didn't have a space program, so it was ridiculous to to want to be an astronaut if we didn't have a space program. And then uh, the uh, the Division One football thing uh, probably was foiled by a significant lack of talent, <laughs> but not but not desire. Um, and what happened was in my sophomore year of college, um, I you know I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know what what I wanted to do, so I just started studying business. I figured business uh, is the most practical thing to to do, and uh, in my sophomore year, um, the first space shuttle went up. And wow. the, nec the next day, I marched into my academic advisor and I said, I want to start taking math and science courses for all the rest of my electives. Uh, I ended up getting a, a degree in business early, and I packed up my car, a little beat-up beat uh, uh, Fiat Spider that I called the Flintstone Mobile because you could see you could see the road going through the rusted-out floorboard. And yeah. I drove to Florida. I enrolled in oh, – first I went to a bank and said, hey, how much will you loan me uh, to continue my education? The answer was uh, $5,000. And so I drove down. I, I enrolled in Embry-Riddle to, uh, to get a, a second bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering. Wow. Um, and my, my plan was to either um, stay there until I ran out of money or until I got accepted as, as a pilot uh, in, the, in the Air Force. Uh, to me, flying jets meant going to the Air Force. I, I don't even know yeah. if I knew that the Navy flew jets. That's how, much, how little I knew about uh, things in those days. And luckily, both those things uh, happened at the same time. I ran out of money right about the time uh, that I got accepted into a pilot slot. But, well, but the whole point of the story is, ah. is – there was a lot in the library at Embry-Riddle University at the Daytona Beach campus. 
Yes. There was this, these videotapes, these VHS videotapes that you can rent out and sit, sit in a cubicle, put your headphones on and watch. And there was, a, there was a video there about the Blue Angels that was the most extraordinary thing I had ever seen. I mean, you know, as this, you know, young, young guy, you know, dreaming about becoming a fighter pilot and seeing, you know, those jets so close, so fast. Uh, it was just, it was awe-inspiring for me. And that set me uh, on a course uh, to discover more, more higher and higher levels of awe and wonder. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe just to start off, to just, just give us a little bit of background about, uh, about your time with the Blue Angels. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to acknowledge, though, that uh, when I was a little boy, I had two dreams, uh, one to be a Division One college football player and the other to be an astronaut. <laughs> and so uh, what's interesting right behind me here is the, uh, the helmet of, of the Blue Angels uh, for Navy, right? And, cool. and I, I got to play there, but I never became an astronaut. So I think if you combine our two exactly. dreams, we're 100%. We got, we got something special there. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's awesome, but uh, yeah, back to your question about the the blues. You know, that was actually one of the most um, gratifying uh, times in my life, and it's not so much just because of the flying. I mean, Ron, you know, the flying in the Blue Angels is on the edge, and you, as a fighter weapons guy, and all the flying that you've done, uh, you know what it's like to be on the edge. What was cool about that was every day, you know, we've got to push the limits, but not of yourself, of the team, right? Yeah. And being right next to each other, 18 inches from another jet upside down, uh, absolutely, uh, to this day, still gives me goosebumps. But you know what I really remember, Ron? It's the crowd line. You yeah. know, it was going to the kids. And it was it was being an ambassador of goodwill. And I don't know if you know this, but that's what we call ourselves on the blues, uh, ambassadors of, of goodwill. And um, the look in the little kid's eyes, you know, because I remember – uh, when my dad took me to an air show, I was 12 years old. Uh, we were in Newport, Rhode Island. He was at the Naval War College. And uh, we looked up in the sky and, and I see these six magnificent blue jets that day. Uh, and I remember feeling it viscerally, Ron. You know how you can talk about it? Feel it in my heart, not just my head. And uh, and I turned to my dad that day and I said, dad, I'm going to do that. Yeah. 12-year-old kid. Yeah. And it turned into reality. Took what, me did your, what did your dad say when you said that? You know, I don't remember his exact words, but I will tell you my dad, uh, who's passed away now, and, and when I ever think about him, he was always supportive. So I know he was supportive of the vision, right? And he used to call me champ. Uh, and there was no doubt that um, that if that's what I wanted to do, he was 100% behind yeah. it. And he gave me, and my mom too, they gave me the feeling that you could do anything, you know, yeah. just put your mind to it. So yeah. they were they were hugely supportive. Yeah, and I think that I think that is so important because you know my, my parents were very supportive too. But I remember as a kid growing up, uh, speaking with other people. You know, you'd, you'd inevitably get asked the question, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Right? Yeah. And so yeah. I always told the truth. I want to be an astronaut. That would normally lead to a pat on the head. And well, what what do you want to be if you can't do that? What's your what's your real plan? Ah. <laughs> and and you know we don't realize the, that words have have um, yes. implications, right? And if enough people say that to a kid, they're going to eventually think that uh, it's an impossible dream, uh, and they shouldn't pursue. And it's reckless to pursue it. So uh, we, we need to be careful what we say, what we say to kids. So let me let me talk about something because we, we've talked about this before, and I think this is I think this is going to lead into into the main topic of discussion, which I think the main topic of discussion. Uh, we want to we, we want to um, talk about is, you know, we've both been in very extreme environments, very hazardous, dangerous, hostile environments, and um, we've we've learned uh, techniques, we've learned tools to be able to not only survive in those environments but thrive. And so, all of us right now are in an extreme environment with uh, the pandemic and all the other things that are going on. Uh, but before we get to that, because I think this relates, I want to talk about. Um, Going from you know just being a pilot that jumps into a jet and and starts flying this airplane to becoming a pilot who becomes one with the jet and the jet yeah. is an extension of, of him or herself to uh, flying in a formation where the formation you're not just a jet in a formation you're a single formation and before we get into that though I want to give another pitch I do this every episode it, you guys all need a little prodding to get in, involved with this conversation this is not just a conversation between Gucci and I. All of us are in this conversation, so jump in here with your questions and comments. Be a part of this because it enriches the whole conversation when you guys are part of it. So, Gucci, talk about that a little bit, um, about that 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 transition from me and my airplane to yeah. my airplane and the formation and everything else. 
Well, you know, you bring such a, a powerful point. And, and while I was in that state, I guess you could call it a state of flow or oneness, right? Yeah. Um, in different times, it really, the, the biggest impact was when I was flying with the Blue Angels. So you remember when you, you first get into your jet and you've had so many jets that you've flown, F-16s, F-15s, all of that. I remember first time I jumped into any airplane, it's, there's a duality. There's the airplane and there's you, right? And at first, the airplane's pretty big and it's pretty powerful, you know, even though they're small fighter jets, they're big and, and you're, you're just learning how to operate it. And it's a lot of conscious thought. And all of a sudden, at some point, uh, you become one with that airplane where you're no longer thinking, uh, where's my stick? Where's my throttle? What's it's, you're just in one, but here's what was cool. And it only happened when I was on the Blue Angels. Uh, when you're starting to fly formation, and it's just two people, as you know, there's the lead and there's the wingman. And so the, the wingman reacts to the lead. And you're still two in two people, right? There's You may be one with your airplane, but you're still, uh, at least I feel like there's, there, there's another uh, object out there. And then all of a sudden what happened, and it only came with the training and the practice, all of a sudden this expansion of my consciousness, I guess is what it was, I expanded out beyond my airplane and you start to actually become one with that other airplane. And, and now all of a sudden with the blues, it becomes six people. And, and I got to tell you, Ron, when you're in that state of, uh, of flow and oneness, it's, it's a super high concentration level. You're not even thinking because I, I guess you're reacting more than you're even thinking. Uh, and you're in this absolute state of, uh, of oneness. Now, it's hard to stay there because the minute something happens, boom, I'm, yeah. I'm shifted out of it. Right. All right. That, that's awesome. And I like the way you phrase that, too, because you started out, there was a duality. There was you yeah. and the aircraft, right? Yeah. And then that merged into, into one, right? That duality went away, and then there was a duality between you and the flight lead, and then that went away. And then I, I guess you could also equate that to when you did your uh, opposing solo stuff too, right? That's an interesting one. Let's talk about that because as, as you got my mind thinking now, the opposing solo stuff is a little – it's more dynamic, okay? It's a lot faster. So in formation, yeah, we're going you know 420 knots, 500 miles per hour, whatever. Uh, but you're all going in the same direction, you know, as you know. Uh, so the, 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 the relative speed is not all there. But when you got an opposing solo coming at you at 1,000 miles per hour closer, so we're basically both going 400 knots at each other, right? Uh, that's a mile every nine seconds, right? And, uh, and I'm thinking about how fast that closure was, but it didn't feel that way. That's the critical part, right? The more you, you got into it, every, actually things slowed down. Yeah. And, uh, and that was that state of, I call it dynamic focus, right? Where things are moving around. It's all moving around you. I mean, I'm, I'm missing radio antennas. I'm 100 feet off the ground. I'm making adjustment, situational awareness. Where's the sailboat? I'm over the water. Where's the bridge? Where's my opposer? Um, all that is, is, is a state of flow. And you know what I noticed, Ron? And tell me what you think about this agent, by the way. I'm going to call you agent from now on for this, for this podcast, right? Uh, is that you would, uh, you would open up and focus down my mm. mind. I noticed my mind would open up situational awareness. No, don't hit anything. Focus down. Where's my wingman? Open up, focus down. And uh, I've learned later in life, and you tell me if you know about this, that we have the ability, every time I snap my fingers here, that 65 impulses a second yeah. is what the brain can take. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've had this conversation before. So if, if, if that's, if, if your brain can process 65 inputs a second, right? That means there's a whole bunch of inputs your brain is not processing. That means you're getting a filtered, strained, uh, vision of, of reality. But when you start stacking different people into the equation, those, those blind spots overlap, right? Yeah. And so this is part of this, this, you know, unity of perspective, right? And of getting different perspectives, right? Because when we get different perspectives in the problem solving process in particular, we, those blind spots start to start to, to overlap, right? Or, or, or I should say the, the, the spots that we see start to overlap and yep. there's, less, there's less and less blind spots. But, you know, going back to what you said before, it's interesting. In, in all my flying career, I, I don't remember ever having to pay too much attention to bridges and sailboats. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so one quick story here. So we're in San Francisco, right? And uh, we, we use the center point is, uh, is a Coast Guard boat between Alcatraz Island and the, the piers, right? And uh, we do have an area we call it the aerobatic box where there's no boats allowed, right? But 
that's only a mile left or right or center point. Well, whereas the solos, you're out there at three miles getting set up, right? And uh, so you're six miles apart. And I remember coming in distinctly over the Golden Gate Bridge, dropping down, rolling inverted at 100 feet, and then going, oh, there's a sailboat mast there. I need to climb about 20 feet. Boom, it would come down. Uh, it was amazing. It was just so cool to feel your mind click in yeah. that quick, right? It's a good thing you remember that to climb, you need to push, not pull. Too. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad you noticed that because most people don't have that uh, awareness. Here's what's interesting. I don't know if you knew this, but in the Blue Angels, uh, and it's not in the Thunderbirds because you, of course, have the side stick. In the Blue Angels, you know, we had a, a stick uh, in between our legs, but we had a spring on it. Okay. We actually connected a manual spring. You'd have to reach down. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a modification on the airplane. You'd reach down and you'd grab this spring, you'd hook it to the stick and you could adjust the tension on that spring. Basically I would put 30 pounds of forward stick pressure. So for me, just to hold the airplane straight and level, okay. Oh, wow. You'd have you'd, you'd be you, you were resisting against 30 pounds. Wow. And I hear you're a oh, wow because, you know, that's like a 30 pound weight out there. Right. So you couldn't just have your arm up. We'd actually put our arm on our, our thigh. Right. And would would rest it against that so you could anchor. Now, the reason we did this was twofold. because You might say, OK, well, why you do this? Right. One is um, it took out the null area. You know how when you trim an airplane, there's still a little null area, right? Mm -hmm. It seemed to take that out. So you're, you you had much more precision uh, yeah. feel information. But here's the real reason is when you rolled inverted, yeah. instead of pushing, yeah. you're still pulling. You just ease off the back stick. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You know, I, obviously, I've done a lot of close formation flying in, in my day as well. And I remember the secret to flying really precise was to have the aircraft trimmed up really easily. So you're not putting any force into it. But that's uh, I didn't realize that you guys uh, trimmed that out uh, in that way. But let's go back to what you said before about this flow state, because I, I think yeah. this is this is. Uh, this is something that we could pull on a little bit, and and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna issue a challenge to to the listeners too right now because, you know, you, you talked about this duality between you and the aircraft, and then you and the, you and the aircraft, and you and the rest of the formation, and then eventually that goes away into a state of non-duality, right? Yeah. And so uh, any philosophers out there <laughs> that want to to put some comments in about non-duality, and uh, we 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 may go down that path as well. But let's 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 shift gears a little bit uh, after I issue that challenge and, and go back to uh, what we really want to get uh, to today, and that's how to how to not only survive but thrive in in extreme environments. And Maybe to start off, I, you know, in your bio, you're a, you're a gratitude guru. Right? <laughs> and so I, I know, I mean, there's many, many studies that have proven over and over again that practic practicing things like gratitude, practicing things like altruism yes. actually boosts our immune system, right? So we're not only helping the person that we're, uh, you know, being altruistic to, we're helping ourselves. We're, we're making ourselves more resilient, stronger. And I know you have a lot to talk about in, in those areas. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, it, it's so interesting, Ron. I, uh, I, gratitude has always been part of my life, but it became much deeper uh, after I picked up on this saying I call glad to be here, right? And the first time I had heard that was in a Blue Angel debrief, right? And, and at that point, uh, it meant, hey, you're just grateful to have the job, right? Yeah. To have the experience. I think about you in space and, and you and all the things you've done. Uh, we're grateful just to have that ability, right? But it goes beyond that, right? And it goes beyond into the, the state of mind that we're in. So they've actually done some studies that uh, when you're in a grateful state of mind, it actually lights up the area of your brain where your perceptions come from. So do we see a glass as half full or half empty? Same perception, okay. Same idea. Two different perceptions, right? S same, same, same observation, and and then it turns out that when you're in a state of generosity, that area of your brain that lights up is the area of your brain where self-esteem comes from. So you, you see, you put those two together. You yeah. know, when you're when you're yeah. in a grateful state and generous, you see things others don't see, and you have the confidence to take the action. Yeah. That's innovation. That's oneness. And to me, that's the key to gratitude. So I have a practice every morning. We can go into that. You know, how, how do I stay in that state? Yeah. You know, on the space station, um, you know, the space station, the International Space Station is an incredibly wonderful place to live. It's a very, very challenging place to work. And, mm. and there were times uh, on board where 
you know, the whole crew was getting really, really frustrated with um, just even simple things. It's just, and we, we developed a slogan, uh, which was, we love this business. And so ah. that was the signal to every, if, if, if I, if I floated by and said, Hey, how's it going? And, and, and a crewmate said, Oh, we love this business. That was my cue that somebody is, is starting to struggle that but yeah. they're starting to struggle and they're feeling the challenge and they're feeling the stress, but they're trying to root themselves, ground themselves in, in gratitude. We love yeah. this because it's not, it's not, we're not being sarcastic. We do love this business. Right. It's just really challenging at times. And so, you know, that, that's a way of acknowledging the challenge and the stress, but to, to do it in a, in a, in a, through a mechanism of gratitude. Um, hey, we've got a comment from Becky Gray um, that she wants to know if uh, what we talked about with the aircraft is similar to learning a new language, uh, the point at which you think in the language, mm. being one with it. Um, for myself, I studied Russian for 10 years, and I can't answer that question because I never got to that point. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it was a struggle for, for and I, I mean, I even lived with a, a family in Moscow for a month that, for a mer language immersion, and I, you know, I, I got to the point where I could, uh, I could converse with somebody, but, and, but I struggled. You know, I had to, I had to think of a word. Uh, you know, I, if I wanted to say something, I had to, you know, think of it in English and then translate it into Russian. And if I had, you know, straggler words from different languages, I had to kick them out. So it was, a, it was, I never got to that point. I don't know if you, if, if you have any experience with that. You know, I, Becky, I think great comment. Cause I, I believe that's a great analogy, but just like Ron, I never have gotten to that state of where uh, I'm, I'm actually, whenever I try, I have to think about it in English first and then translate it, right? And so I'm not into that oneness state, but it was interesting. I was just listening to uh, a webinar about a poet and uh, he said that he actually could speak like three different languages, but actually, as you said, Ron, immersion was in South America. And when he actually became immersed in the culture, his actual poetry changed. Mm. So it wasn't just the language, right? The way he expressed himself changed. Yeah, it changes the way we think. I mean, there's a, that really great movie Arrival that talks about the power oh, of language, yeah. right? I know. I, I highly recommend that that movie if you haven't seen it uh, with uh, Amy Adams. Um, but let's let's go back to the extreme environment uh, yep. living. And you know, what what kind of advice can you you know? There's there's a lot of people, maybe people that are listening right now that are that are struggling. Uh, you know, everybody's probably sick and tired of of just the, the uh, disruptions to our lives. Uh, you know, we can't see our, our friends and spend time. And there's, you know, people that have kids that haven't seen their parents, parents that haven't seen their kids, uh, grandparents that haven't seen their grandkids. Uh, there's people who have lost jobs. There's a lot of people fa facing financial problems. Obviously, there's a lot of people dealing with medical issues. Um, lots and lots of stress, uh, lots and lots of uncertainty, lots of challenges. Um, what, what advice can you give people? Well, the first thing, and it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, uh, even in all these challenges, trying to find something positive, uh, trying to find the, the good side in things. So for me, every morning, Ron, when I wake up, I do what I call my glad to be or wake up, which is I've trained my brain so that when my eyes open up, uh, the first thought that hits my head is what am I grateful for? Instead of what are all the challenges that I have out there? And, and it's a training though, uh, because initially your mind's going to defer to those threats, right? Uh, and uh, for me, it's very simple. It's just three techniques. What am I grateful for in the present moment? Okay. For today, this morning, woke up, I'm in Sun Valley. Uh, in fact, it just snowed last night. And so after this uh, event, I'm going to go skiing, by the way, yeah. uh, but, but, but my wife's already out on the mountain. But anyhow, um, so what am I grateful for in the present moment? Okay. Number one. Number two, though, here's what I've learned. This is a very good technique. Go back in your past. Now, for me, I just go back 24 hours and I say, what happened yesterday? that we have something we're grateful for. And you know what came in my mind, Ron, was our prep call for this. You know, we live our model, right? You, you prepare and you get ready. And I thought, you know, thank you, agent, for the time you spent getting us prepared, right? And I, I just re rehashed that in my brain. And then here's the last thing. I go forward in my day and I say, how can I serve? How can I help somebody else? And again, you came to mind and all the listeners. And I said, I'm going to get the rare privilege to be on the orbital perspective and, and hopefully share some information that benefits someone else. And that right there, Ron, those three simple techniques uh, for me can change your, your mindset um, and allow you to get through these challenging times. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Do, do you, can you speak to 
the direct effects of those on you and maybe the, yeah. the short term and the long term effects? No, that's great. So um, the short term is you feel better, and uh, but it's not enough, right? Because then you get thrown right back into two, the challenges of the reality. So what I've realized is that I have to get it not just in my mind, I have to get it into my body. Right. And so what I do is I uh, every morning as part of my morning routine, and I would suggest everybody should have. I'm kind of curious to see what your morning routine is a routine to get yourself into this high performance zone. So one is it's gratitude. That only takes a couple of minutes. Right. Then I do have a focused awareness exercise that I do. Usually it involves some sort of visualization or meditation. We can talk about that. But then I go outside and I get some movement in my body and I've trained myself. So today it was 22 degrees. I walk out, I'm standing in the snow and I'm in my bare feet, pair of shorts. Right. And I actually do a stretching routine. It's actually a bowing routine uh, where I get the, the movement, the energy flow in my body, but I'm in a cold state. So I have to take my brain and say, it's not about the cold. It's about the inner, you know, the inner body. How am I bringing heat to my inner body? Uh, and then I use a, a hot bath to get me back because sometimes my hands are all red and my feet are cold. Uh, but I do those things every morning and uh, it seems to uh, really make a difference over time. Yeah, um, I don't have I don't have a morning routine like that. I I, I think I'm going to though. <laughs> I think I think that, that's what I learned from this podcast is is it. But I, I guess I do kind of have a, a morning routine. You know, when I when I what I try and do every morning when I open my eyes is is do three things. I I, I try and focus on uh, here now and I right and so. So what does that mean? So I, I focus on here. Okay, where am I? I'm waking up in the bed, but I'm also waking up on a planet. Um, two, two, two dolly zoom sides of the same coin. And what is here? I'm waking up here, right? So what is here? Everywhere I've ever been has been here. There's only one yeah. here, right? And so there's a there's a unification there. We talked about that, you know, that the that non-duality of there is only one here. Yeah. And I'm I'm waking up now. And what does that mean? Is it is it different than the now that I woke up yesterday, or is it one continuous continuous eternal now, right? And then the the I part of it is uh, basically getting in touch with with what or who I, I actually am and which is awareness right and so I'm, I'm being and so I lay there and I just be aware right aware of my thoughts aware of my sensations aware of my feelings uh, aware of the room of what I'm seeing uh, and realize that there is um, that I am not those things I'm, mm. I'm not I'm not my thoughts I'm not my feelings I'm not my um, perceptions um, I'm that which is aware of it and you know if, if that if you're grounded in that every day then you know a lot of things because you know we, we're talking about trying to overcome extreme environments overcome adversity and, and challenge and I think most if not all of the suffering in the world stems from our inability to accept what is right it's 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 our, our inability it's we 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 realize what is and we want something different right which yeah. if you think about that is insane because you can't it already is it, it, so what is is right so you can think about well i want to change it you know i want to change it but you change it with what you do right now right and yeah. so you don't change it with with something you do in the future because you can't do anything in the future i don't know if that's making any sense but oh, it, when you're grounded, when you're grounded in the present moment, um, and I know that's kind of a cliche these days, but it, it's, but it really is fundamentally true. <laughs> I mean, it is the truth of how, how to how to go but navigate the world. You know, you made me think of something. Um, I'll share this with your audience. So, you know, what is this? You know, as as I hold it up, what what, what is this, Ron? Uh, Look, pen. Looks like a pen. pen. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, now, if I though handed this to my dog. And by the way, we're, we're getting the Rhodesian Ridgeback. Uh, we'll see when he hits it. You know, what would my dog do with it? Yeah, he may chew on it. So I know that not, you know, if you didn't see it, I put it in my mouth. It could be a chew toy. So to the human, I see a pen. To the dog, it's a chew toy. Here's the question. Who's right? Yeah. Right? And and so so here's the here's the, the thought process. Is the penness, this thing that you say a pen, is that coming this way or this way? Is it coming from me or at me? What do you think? It's coming. It's <laughs> well, again, again, here, the penness is that pen going this way or is it going this way? The penness. Uh, I think it's coming from you. 
Yes. Okay. It has to. Because uh, if if it if it was the other way, the dog would see it as the same thing, right? Yeah, Everybody right. would see it as the same thing. So I guess the, the the key, the reason I bring that up is that's I think what you were talking about, this consciousness, yeah, right? Um, and 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 I love that I am statement. You know, you know, who am I every morning? What is that? Uh, what what is that? Uh, and and can you expand that consciousness where we're not dual? It's not you know agent and Gucci. It's just one. It's oneness. Yeah, and I think the 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 lack of that, the lack of really being rooted in who you really are, is the cause of all the challenges and problems on our planet. Because yep. you know we tend to defend uh, what we identify as ourselves, and if yep. we identify our political party or what news channel we watch or whether or not we wear a mask or <laughs> what country we live in, what color our skin is, as who we are, then we're going to defend that. Uh, if we are something other than that, if we don't, if we don't put, it's okay to to um, belong to a particular group. It's a long, it's, it's okay to feel an affinity for a particular group. But if that defines your ultimate identity, that's where the problem is, and that's where that's where we get into this polarization and this divisiveness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that real quick back to this because I didn't finish it. The cool part about that analogy is the potential is there right? We have unlimited potential. And that's what I think you were just talking about is because how we perceive something is coming from us. We have unlimited potential to make it whatever we want. Yeah. There is no pain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> there is no spoon. Um, hey, let's talk about, let's talk about cross check. You know, you're, you're 18 inches from another jet, you're flying yep. 500 miles an hour. Um, you know, you got sailboats going by, yeah. uh, you know, or, you know, it's a combat situation where you're hundred feet off the deck, yeah. you got missiles coming at you, you got, you know, enemy aircraft, you got a ridge line in front of you that you got to hop over. So how, let's talk about how we process overload of information. I'm going to pop up a, a, okay. a comment here from Rumora. Um, what is your opinion on handling information overload? We have currently, currently in our lives. Uh, that, that we have currently in our lives. Social media has placed us in a sort of cockpit that mm -hmm. sometimes for some seem to pose difficulty in interpreting a correct situational awareness of society and reality. What a great question. Um, Gucci, what do you think? Yeah, well, it's huge. You know, the, the first thought that came to my mind was the heads up display, you know, the HUD uh, being taking all that information that we had, all our senses, sensors, radar, all the things that coming at you. And they projected it up into something that was clean and focused, right? So you knew what the most important things are. So being able to block out those distractions. So that was one technique that we had in the airplane. But I think the technique in your own self is even more important, right? How do you block out all those distractions that are coming at you? And so I love the idea of the cross check. You know, you, you brought it up, right? The idea of having a wingman too, you know, I'm checking someone else's six, but right. I'm back to what I need to do. That ability to go in and out of that situational awareness, awareness, focus, you know, uh, mm -hmm. open up, focus down. Right. And I think that, um, you know, that's, that's the key. And, and I love the question because the, the social media and all these other elements uh, were bombarded, you know, how do you know what to trust? Uh, and, and so I, I like this ability to focus down and open up. Yeah. I, I, and, and I think that pretty much everybody is facing uh, information overload. And, and part of the reason uh, why we're facing so much overload is because uh, it is it is a money maker. <laughs> yeah. So there there are the the folks who control the communication channels uh, make a great deal of money by basically feeding us what they what they think we want to see, like like capturing our attention and holding our attention, yeah. right? And so what that means is, uh, depending on what your starting condition is, you know what 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 you you know what path you started down, you're going to get a completely different feed, a completely different story than somebody who went down down a different path, right? And then we get into trouble when we identify with those stories, right? And then we then we can't have a rational conversation across those two different paths because they, they, they're seen as an attack of our of our identity. And I think some of, of of why that's happening is is just, you know, it's a mechanism for companies to make money. But I, I also do think that there is some level of intentional polarization, intentional divisiveness that's being put out into the world again, because it 
uh, it maintains status quo, uh, you know, divide and conquer type of thing, and those in power and those um, who, uh, you know, have, have the resources to, to do that want to make sure that that status quo is, is kept intact. And so to, to answer, I, one of the ways that I would answer the question is to not, to, to take note of what's, what's happening. When you're getting bombarded by information, try and, try and discern the nature of that information. Is it divisive polarizing information or is it unifying um, information? Because those people with the, that are pulling the strings, you know, the, the big companies that are vying for our attention, those, uh, those people who want to keep us divisive, want to keep us polarized, uh, they depend, they are completely 100% depending on us cooperating with that. The actual power lies yep. with us. And so when we see a bit of information and we ask ourselves a question, um, is this a unifying piece of information or is it a divisive piece of information? If it's a divisive piece of information, it's probably manipulation. You are probably being manipulated right now and you need, you need to take a hard look at it and, and see where it comes from. And nobody can fact check everything that comes across, but if we're gonna share something, if we're gonna put something out into the world and say, you know, I agree with this, I, I think this is true, that, then you have the responsibility to do some serious fact checking uh, and, and see if you wanna you know, put something divisive into the world or something unifying. Uh, I, love, I love your advice. You know, I was thinking about um, the idea of if, you know, I'd rather be for something than against something, right? Mm -hmm. So the unification of, of, the, of what am I fighting for? What am I trying for? You know, the other thing that thought that popped and hit my head uh, for this question was the, the president of USC, I, I was at a, a conference, this is years ago, and he, he, his, he, he was talking about think gray. And, and the idea here was, was that there's not necessarily black and white you know, um, and try to stay in the think gray zone uh, for as long as you can uh, to get your impression of, of where to make your decisions, right? And what's interesting is he said he, for an experiment for one month, he absolutely had no outside uh, news feeds, okay? And if you think about it, that's crazy. You know, how are you going to turn yourself off for a month? But here's what he did. He wouldn't look at the, the internet. He wouldn't look at newspapers. This is back a few years. Um, but he asked people. So some so someone said, hey, look at how are you going to stay up to speed on the world events? He goes, oh, well, you know, tell me about that event. You know, there was a, a big snowstorm in New York. Tell me about that event. But here's what he noticed is he knew the bias of the person who he was asking. And he didn't know the bias of the news feed. And so he was able to ascertain over oh, okay. time. Yeah. Uh, more, yeah. You know, when you said uh, black and white and gray, what I, what I heard in the gray part is complexity, right? Okay. Black is simple, white is simple, gray is co complex. And we tend to take this very, very complex, complicated world that we live in and, and make it simpler, make it easier to understand. And we do that by putting it in the, the white box or the black box, when yep. in reality, everything is interconnected, interdependent, and is vastly more complex than that. So every single situation that we're in, you know, it, it, it tends to, through social media and this amplification and this echo chamber, it tends to take it out of the gray and push it into simplification of you know binary one or zero it's good or bad it's us or them right it's two it becomes two dimensional right and yep. the world is not two dimensional it's it's yep. multi dimensional right and so uh, we need we, in order to solve the real problems that we face we need need to solve them in the context of the real world and the real world is very complex. <laughs> right. Well, I was just thinking about the I was just on another call about vo Voku right Voku right. Uh, the, the the volatility out there, the uncertainty, the complexity, and the ability to uh, you know adapt is is what's critical, right? Yeah, you know, I want to go back to something that you said um, earlier in the podcast. We were talking about because um, I think this relates to this complexity. You know, you talked about you know flying with the blues and and being you know having a, a formation and and just being one one entity, right? Yes. And I remember, so, so I don't mean to plug my book, but I got a new book coming out, uh, Floating in Darkness. And there's a chapter in there about the time I was living on the bottom of the ocean. I lived in Aquarius oh, yeah. for three weeks, right? And there's one scene in there where I'm, I'm sitting, there's this beautiful stainless steel table with this gigantic viewport looking out at this, at, at this beautiful coral reef. And I'm just sitting there having my breakfast, right? Eating some oatmeal and a cup of coffee. 
and I'm just watching this ballet go by of all these sea creatures, right? And this formation of spotted eagle rays goes by, oh. right? And you know, six foot wingspan, wow. wing type. I mean, it looked like the blues going by, right? The type yeah. formation, wingtip to wingtip, uh, you know, long stingers. It looked like a, a futuristic uh, formation of, of stealth bombers or something going by, right? But wow. there was clearly a lead, and the others were following. When one turned, then the other was returning. I mean, it just looked like, you know, the Blue Angels. Yeah. But then I saw like a school of about 100 smaller fish, right? Yeah. And they did not have a leader. They all, when, when, that, form, when that school of fish decided to turn, they all turned at the same time. Yes. It was like some kind of linked consciousness, this intricate mesh of, of they were functioning as, as I couldn't see the leader. I couldn't see somebody turn and then everybody followed. It was like all of them simultaneously turned at the same time. And so I spent a, a great deal of, of pondering <laughs> on that. Um, and it was, a, you know, it's basically a superorganism, right? It's, it's yeah. individual fish acting as one superorganism. And, you know, humanity is a superorganism, whether we realize it or not, right? Uh, and, and we have, you know, the technology to, to back that up, too, because you know, when you consider a human brain and the complexity of a human brain, you can't just consider it, uh, you know, within the confines of one cranium, right? Because all the human brains are linked at the speed of light by, you know, things like the internet and, and everything else. And so, um, the, you know, I, I was, I'm on the University of, of Colorado campus right now, and I, it's a beautiful day. It's like in the 60s. It's absolutely gorgeous today. And I, so I walked here. And the whole way I was walking here, I was thinking about the word uh, interconnected ah. and we live in a very interconnected society but inter and that's true but it's it's really really an inefficient word it's a partial word it's not that we live in an interconnected world is we live in an interdependent world yes right? we need to take it one step further because every thing affects everything else right and that's and we need to realize that and and realize that words ha have implications our actions have implications our thoughts have implications so um yeah, just th thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> well, I love that. And, and what, what hit my head was the idea of that's why it's so important to give, right? To, to be part of the, of the solution. We're all interconnected. We're all together. Um, so one of my, uh, one of my mantras that I'm, I'm uh, saying almost every day is the idea of learn, grow, give. And I realized I had them in the wrong order. It's really give, learn, grow. And yeah, they're, they're, they're dependent on each other. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Yeah. So extreme environments. Yep. Let's, let's go back to that. Cause I think people are, are, are really going to want to hear that. And uh, I think since we haven't seen any, any comments on the non-duality, I think we're going to save that for our, for the, our session that we're going to do after this live session. We'll okay. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, but let's, you know, one of the, there's physical danger, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there, so, so people are faced with psychological danger and, and physical danger. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I know with, through, through your career, you faced a lot of physical danger. Um, so let's talk about physical danger, for instance. And, and what, do you have any tools or techniques that people can use just, just to go to the grocery store? Yeah, I think what it, it was one of the things I learned, whether it was landing jets on aircraft carriers or, you know, flying uh, with the blues, was this idea of, of have a, have a game plan, right? Uh, have a vision, but but have a have a way to execute. So I live on what I call the debrief. We can talk this a lot too. Always learning from what has happened before, right? So I think about this idea of physical danger. Well, go into it with with preparation and focus. You execute, but then you have to learn from that. So I'm constantly in a learning loop. I'm constantly in a debrief loop. What went well? What could have gone better? Uh, you know, how can I make this uh, a better outcome? And to me, that's the key in life. You know, it's key in personal relationships. It's uh, it's not only when there's physical danger. Uh, how can we continually grow? So to me, it, it's it's this debrief concept. Yeah, and you know whether whether it's you know debriefing a, a show with the Blue Angels or a, a sortie with Fighter Weapons School. Yep. Um, it's it's really important, and you know, at, at fight, I don't know what the the ratio was with the blues, but at fighter weapon school, it was like a five to six to one ratio. So if yeah. you flew a one hour flight, you probably had a six hour debrief, right? Most people and, have no idea the level yeah. of detail you're going yeah. into. Yeah, and and the only way 
that you could learn. And so, you know, you have the best of the best pilots in the world, right? All coming in the door. And if those pilots walk through the door thinking they're the best of the best, yeah. that, that they already know everything, they learn nothing. They never get any better. Exactly. So, th- and, and they probably wouldn't be there in the first place because the reason why they're the best of the best is they, they, <laughs> every time they, they, they do something, they, they try and learn from it. So, so what, so to me, if I want to, tr- if I can translate that into, into everyday life is if we already think we have all the answers, we're not going to learn anything. And so we should, we should constantly looking for opportunities to learn and to apply that to our sur- survival techniques. Right. Yes. And uh, in addition to that, we, and I know you talk a lot about preparation, right? It's not just debriefing. It's, it's, it's right. preparation before the, before the event, before the trip to the grocery store, whatever, whatever event that we want to talk about. Um, and so it, in that preparation, part of that preparation is thinking about what could go wrong, right? You know, in, in, at NASA, you know, we, we train for years for a space mission and probably, I don't know, 80, 90% of that training is training on stuff that we will probably never do. It's, it's, you know, what happens if a fire happens? What happens if we lose engines on launch? You know, all, all of these things that we're training for that we're probably hopefully never going to use. And so I think part of that preparation, and I know you have a lot to talk about on that, is what if, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? How, how am I going to handle that? What can I take with me to prepare for that? That sort of thing. Yeah. So two things, Ron, you, you're, you're on it. I was thinking about getting ready for a catapult launch. You know, it, it could probably feels like you strapped into a rocket. Right. Uh, but the idea was, yeah, we had our briefing. So, you know, we had the mission plan. But when you got up there on that 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 flight deck of that aircraft carrier, a lot of stuff's happening. OK, jets are turning around. You're jumping in your jet. You're following the 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 guidance of the, the director. Uh, and you're thinking about you know, your mission. But what I realized was that I always went back to immediate action emergencies, right? So the idea here was what if you lost an engine off the catapult? And uh, you had to, you know, it's kind of like your story when you had to jettison all your ordnance on takeoff when you lost uh, that engine. But I would go through that preparation, which is off the stroke. If I had lost the engine, you know, first thing to do, full powers, you know, afterburner, set the attitude, jettison the stores, and then you got to wait, right? But what my, the idea there was I was playing that in my, that tape in my brain as I'm taxing up. But then once I got into the, into tension on the catapult, it was back into, okay, everything's what's, what do I just need to execute. What are my steps yeah. on? Because I had that in the back of my head, if it had to happen. Now, here's the other thought that hit my head, complacency. I think if I think about people out there and I think about myself, you know, when did I get into the most trouble? It's when I got complacent. And I don't, I mean, not just flying a jet, but driving a car, you know, complacent with the, the PPP protocols. Uh, I think complacency is probably one of the biggest challenges we have, because look how long we've been into this uh, change right now. Complacency is when your nose pops out of the top of the mask. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Let me pop up this this comment right here uh, because it's um, from Eschker. I hope I hope I said that right. But really, what this what this comment is is about uh, how do you focus breaking down the complexity of our daily daily life and, and work life and and maybe I'll just maybe if I could start just to throw throw out some food for thought is you know we live in such a complex world that there's no way at our 65 inputs per second that, that we could that we could possibly process all that right and, and ne- never mind control it so so we all want to control everything right we want to be the, the masters of our destiny uh but i think part of the, the first step to being able to take all this complexity that's all around us and break it down and be successful in this extreme environment is to focus on the things that we actually have control over not the things that we don't have control over. And there's a lot of people that get so involved with thinking, you know, ruminating, thinking, uh, trying to act on things that they have no control over uh, that the things that they actually do have control over uh, miss out. So any any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, I I was thinking about, uh, a Blue Angel Air Show real quick. I was I was uh, speaking at Stanford Business School not too long ago. They they always bring me back. Um, 
And they, they, this question came up, you know, how do you take an incredibly complex evolution and break it down to its simplest parts and then build it back up? Physicists do this, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I was thinking about the air show. You know, we have, we have multiple things going on. You have four jets in a diamond formation. They're going to be five miles crowd right. You have the two solo pilots. They're individual out there, three miles crowd left, three miles crowd right. And there's this coordination and there's this synchronization that needs to come in. Every minute we have a different, we put a different maneuver in front of the audience, right? Then you have all the people on the ground. And I'm thinking about your space launch and all the support systems that are, that are part of this, right? So a very complex situation. But what we would do is we would map that out on the ground. But once you got airborne, I was focused just on my role, my task. What is it that I need to achieve, right? And for us, I'll give you a very simple thing. I would come up on the radio and I would say to my opposing solo, Thumper, I'd say, Thumper, are you ready to take a mark? Because we're, we're trying to coordinate the, the next maneuver. Uh, and we had a contract that basically if he was not in position, he could say no. Now, 99 times out of 100, he was in the right position. But that one time he wasn't, I needed to know. So if he said no, we had five seconds was our backup plan. So I'd say standby market, boom, we'd hit our stopwatches. The next focus for the next 20 seconds was simply this, get to your three mile checkpoint, be on altitude, on airspeed, on time. If he or she was at his at her checkpoint, on altitude, on airspeed, on time, guess what he told me? Nothing. Right. Right. Yeah, because that's that's the contract. But what yeah. the other contract was, if you're off, let me know. Yeah. Let me know quickly. So he'd come up on the radio. We wouldn't hide things. He'd say, I'm working a half second late. Yeah. Now, here's here's the question. Who do you think corrected? So Thumper, I'm the lead solo. Thumper yeah. is opposing solo. He's a half second late. Who do you think corrects? Well, I mean, common sense would say that Thumper would, but I, but I, because you're asking the question, I'm going to guess you. <laughs> yes. In this case, because why? I have more experience, even if it's just one year, right? Um, uh, I can make those timing corrections better. So what our contract was, you stay consistent, half yeah. second late. Okay. I'll make the correction. We're back in sync at two miles, right? And now, and then we, we keep coming in. Now, um, the other thing is that I think about these verbal contracts, and this is how I can help people, why it's so powerful is my verbal contract to Thumper was I'll be on the flight line. And by the way, the flight line, remember we're coming at each other, you know, posing, right? Is not the runway, but is it's the inboard edge of the left painted stripe on the on the runway, right? Um, I'll set the altitude because the lead solo will set the altitude and I'll make all the timing corrections. You, my teammate, have one job. Miss me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the biggest game of chicken you ever yeah, played, yeah. agent. <laughs> sometimes, you know, Thumper, his nose, he, he was coming in so close, his nose was pointing in and I'd go, man, this isn't going to be pretty, right? But I needed to trust my teammate to do what he or she said they're going to do, and they need to trust me. And I'd say, yeah. ready, hit it. We'd do a full stick deflection roll. Sometimes, agent, he'd go by so close that the airflow from the canopy would thump my jet. Oh, gee, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but the reason I share that story is I think about, you know, take complexity, yeah. break it down to some actionable steps and, and trust. Yeah. You know, you talked about, I, I, I'm becoming aware of the clock uh, and that we're, we are running out of time for this, this episode. Um, but I do, do you have any, I know you talked about your, your routine getting up in the morning. Do you have a yeah. routine at the end of the day as well? Yeah. You know, I, I go back and I review and I set my, my, my states, my mind into a state though of what went well. What could I have done better? And, and how am I going to make those adjustments, right? So it's the same debrief process. And by the way, uh, at Fighter Weapons School, you did six to one. We did about two to one on the Blue Angels. Uh, it, it was twice as long. But I always use that time to reset. And I stay in a positive state. I, I don't look at my devices before I go to bed, right? Yeah. I stay in a positive state of uh, how can I serve and how can I help others? That's awesome. So Gucci, how can people, how can people get a hold of you? And how can they get this? Yeah. So fearless success. You forget my book anywhere, Amazon or, or any of the books, but if you want to sign copy, uh, more importantly, go to our website. The best way to get a hold of me is on our website. It's johnfoleyinc.com, johnfoleyinc.com. And you know what we do is we put out weekly uh, high impact training videos. They're very short. They're like three minutes long uh, and, and very powerful for people, right? Using these analogies of, uh, of the high performance. So yeah, go to the website, sign up on our, our list um, and uh, we'd be happy to get you that, 
that free training. Uh, also, uh, I have a podcast too. It's called The High Performance Zone. And in fact, Agent, thank you for being on it. You were on my podcast two weeks that ago. That's a great podcast. Phenomenal. But the website's the best way. All right. Well, cool. Well, Gucci, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing uh, your wisdom, uh, your advice. We're, we're, we're actually, folks, going to continue this conversation, but we're going to do it uh, uh, record only. And uh, uh, we'll get this to you when it, when it comes out. I think we're going to talk about non-duality, maybe, or we'll, we'll, we'll figure something. We'll figure it out. Maybe we'll talk about the difference between the Air Force and the Navy flight operations. <laughs> hey, I'm ready for that. It's kind, uh, of the same, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same, the same topic. But uh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Uh, thank you for making a difference, and thank you for you know every night figuring out and every morning figuring out how you could serve because I think that's what it's all about. It's uh, uh, and 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 I know that you can speak to how how much benefit you get uh, with from that from that mindset uh, of serving. And uh, with that, uh, I want to thank everybody who tuned in. Thanks for the great comments, and uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us during this conversation from the orbital perspective, and thank you for being a part of an emerging unity on our planet. We are strongest when we are aligned around the truth of our underlying unity. Together, we are unstoppable and can build a positive, restorative future, a future that we would all want to be a part of. Please subscribe to the Orbital Perspective podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will do to help make life on our planet as beautiful as it looks from space.